evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the Fugazi catalog, from Fuga A to Fugazi. I'm your host, Ian James Wright, and joining me today to discuss Epic Problem from the 2001 album The Argument are David DeKaiser and Nick Feely, who are the hosts of the podcast The Discourse, that's D-I-S-C-H-O-U-R-S-E, which is a podcast devoted to discussing every Discord Records release, so men after my own heart for sure. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hey, Ian. How's it going? Oh, it's going all right. As we uh, as we yeah. speak, I was just telling you before we started recording, uh, the place where I live is under siege by fires and smoke, so um, if, I, uh, if I cough uh, more than usual throughout today's episode... That's what's happening, and if uh, okay, so it won't be. It's not COVID then. All right. No, yeah. well, okay. I hope Ooh. not. All right. Yeah. Well, well. If uh, if these episodes suddenly stop coming out, uh, you know, a few months from now, that's what happened. Um, so we'll know. Yeah. yeah R.I.P. Okay. Me. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say up top, and I know it's been commented on in previous episodes, um, but. Um, I really just, I really just want to give you a standing ovation for the Fugai to Fugazi bit from <laughs> uh, Stop Playing mm-hmm. the Apes. I want to get off. Just, yeah, I couldn't resist. <laughs> as as Simpsons fan, as Simpsons fans ourselves, like yeah. you just see something like that, and you're just like, I damn it, I wish. Why? <laughs> we were very. I mean, this is this is one of those things where we totally understood that you started with the logo and it was such a good logo that you had to go make an entire podcast. I was just doodling in my notebook one day and then, uh, yeah. I mean, that's how all the great podcasts start. Serial, Mm -hmm. the daily, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the, uh, Joe Rogan, (laughs) the Fuga A to Fuga Z thing. That's an example of, uh, I was thinking to myself, uh, when I started doing this, I was like, you know, at some point, I'm sure Ian McKay is going to listen to an episode of this podcast, and he's going to think this is really mm-hmm. fucking stupid. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I did it anyway because, damn it, I have the courage of my convictions. There you go, yes. man. I can, I we I mean we can tell you because I mean we we mostly uh, because we wanted to make sure we wouldn't get sued, but um, also just to let him know, we did email him. I we talked about mm-hmm. this at length uh in our own podcast but um he was very very kind and like generous and so i'm sure you know with yours like i think the thing he said he said something like you know everything that i've ever released on discord i've wanted the world to hear so Mm -hmm. like anything that gets more people talking about discord fugazi DC music, I think he's he's all for it. So yeah, he yeah I I I have I have the email. He, he said, speaking for myself, and I think most of the bands on Discord would agree. Every song I wrote, I wrote to be heard. And t- to say that you know, both Nick and I have met Ian, and you know, growing up in DC, you, you sort of have to at some point. Um, I, I worked on a show called Pancake Mountain as an intern, oh, and yeah. the Evens. That's actually where they recorded their first song, which is called Vowel Movement. Um, I got to meet get Ian it? and go, get go to the yeah, bowel, yeah. bowel movement. It's a yeah. bit of a pun. If who I'm says? Not who says Fugazi is is human? <laughs> like, who says Ian doesn't have? A I mean, it was just an email that we got, and yeah, like Nick was saying, we sent it. Um, we are liberal with uh, how much, how many songs we have on our podcast, and we know <laughs> what that could potentially mean. Um, but we wanted to make sure. We wanted him to know, and you know, we we understand he 
replies to most everything you send him, but it, it was really meaningful. It actually wasn't the first time uh, Nick, especially had sort of reached out to, uh, to Ian and to discourse. I mean, Nick, do you want to sort of tell the, I guess the first, oh, one of those, those like first stories of how we sort of got connected. I mean, to yeah, I guess it's kind of, it dovetails nicely. Um, yeah. So uh, in high school, um, so David and I went to high school. We went to, um, You'll probably be familiar with it, but we went to Gonzaga, which is an all-boys Catholic high school. Mm -hmm. It's in downtown D.C. And um, and uh, one of the things that's actually pretty cool about the school is that they have a um, a, uh, a soup kitchen uh, called the McKenna Center, which is attached to it. Um, and it was a pretty big component of, uh, you know, every student that goes there, you have to volunteer each year, a certain number of hours, uh, and you can it's do it at the you have to do dinner. It, like you have to do an overnight there, sort of help the people that come in for dinner and stuff. Yeah, it's, it was a, you know, it's it's Jesuits. It's very social justice oriented in, in that yeah. regard. And, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, this would have been junior year. Um, we got it in our heads. So two thousand one or two thousand two, we got it in our heads. Oh, basically, what it was was we wanted to see Fugazi play, and we thought mm-hmm. maybe we could like. Uh, have a benefit show for the McKenna Center, which was never going to happen because the school administration and, and whatnot. But um, we did reach out to uh, Ian at the time, and I was living with my grandparents at the time. Um, and uh, he returned, you know, my email or phone call and spoke with my grandmother at length. And my grandmother was <laughs> was like. I talked to that Mr. Mackay guy. He was so nice. Just what a <laughs> delightful, nice gentleman. Like, he seems like a really nice guy. He's in one of those bands you like, Nick? Like, the ones that shout a lot? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's some shouting. She was like, well, he was just the nicest guy. You, you let him know. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of the... And it, it, he and I ended up connecting. And I think it was right after they sort of went on hiatus even though no one knew at the time they were going on hiatus so he was just kind of like yeah we're not really playing shows right now but here's the contact info for like three or four other bands that i was really into it was like dismemberment playing q and not you and like yeah so it's like i was walking around with like their phone numbers i felt Uh like total hot (laughs) shit i would i remember being like nick don't drop that do not lose that piece of paper and i think (laughs) you might have eventually like or it might have just been in like the, the I found it. To the, oh, you found it? <laughs> yeah, no, remember I told you, I was going through. Like, oh, that's so right. <laughs> I, I, on my last visit to D.C., my parents, you know, gifted me with, like, a big chest of just, like, here's your shit, take it, please. And it's it's all the sort of, like, embarrassing, if, you know, ephemera from growing up. And But in there, I found, like, a notepad, and it had all the phone numbers on there. Oh, hey, let's so, call up Travis Morrison. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, what? What's the likelihood that that Travis Morrison is still uh, at this two hundred two number? Um, you know, we don't know until we try. I think is the answer there. True. That's that's actually that's actually for uh, for the upcoming slate of episodes is going to be a re. <laughs> yeah, it's basically gangers, but with, you know. So uh, did did that show uh, end up happening? Did you do Did you do the benefit? Oh, oh no! Okay. <laughs> the school, the school was like we. Basically, they were like, um, it can't. It can only be. It can't be open admission, mm-hmm. and like it was just like all the. It. I mean, it, it was. It was like not. 
inconceivable. I think we were given permission with a bunch of strings. It's actually, you're saying, yeah, it had to be only Catholic schools, which like, how would you even check that? And I think, didn't Nick, I think you went back to Ian and he was just like, yeah, we only, you know, we have a very <laughs> well-known policy uh, and we won't do it. But yeah, you know, he was very nice about it. But the yeah, school no. was open, but like it wasn't ever. Really it, they happen. were open in the sense of kind of like, sure, go ahead. See if you can make that happen. And basically like, you know, I think maybe they went and did their due diligence and saw like, oh, this actually mm-hmm. could probably take place. Um, so funnily enough, um, Mark Anderson, who, uh, who wrote, uh, Dance of Days and who's the sort of the grand poobah of uh, positive force or was for a number of years, um, was a, uh, parishioner at, uh, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, which is the church attached to the school. Um, and now the church and the parish are like completely separate from the school in terms of like how they're run and administratively. And the church is far more like radical leaning uh, mm-hmm. than the school was like the school, uh, you know, the school like had a lot of, uh, when we were there, there were a lot of Bush appointees kids going there. Um, so like, yeah, uh, it, it was, it was a prep school in DC you know, yeah. it, we weren't, we weren't, you know, St. Albans, but right. yeah, <laughs> how, yeah. how different was it? Yeah, exactly. And so, but the parish is, is pretty radical. And, um, and so, like I mentioned, Mark Anderson was a parishioner there, I think for a number of years and, um, they actually did shows in the basement of the church. And I saw in 2002, uh, I can't, I actually can't believe they actually did this, but 1905 Black Eyes, Virginia Black Lung, and one other band, and it was a benefit for like a sex workers collective. Wow! Like it's crazy. That's like huge. you know, when, <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. and so like it, it. It was a very strange sort of like cultural split between those two institutions, and maybe our mistake was we went through the school and not the parish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well, yeah. yeah, but, I mean, I mean, yeah, that, that, yeah for that, every that, idea that, like that, that that never panned out, it seems like there are a bunch of people that do have a like a, a and if you build it, they will come type story about Fugazi and oh, like putting totally. on something. Mm-hmm. So that's that's just yeah, one of the things totally. that was so great about that scene is like that you could actually make stuff like that happen, and there are just so many stories yeah. like that. Yeah, and, I mean, like like Nick was saying, I mean, we. Him and I met in high school. We first met because we were both on the crew team. Both Nick and I are fairly tall, six five, six six. So we okay, went... okay. Don't have to brag. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're tall, but we're uncoordinated. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We I tried out for the basketball team, and uh, oh, oop, it was embarrassing. Yeah. Like I didn't even yeah. want to be on the team, but I was still embarrassed at the end of it. So your butt but... would just be going like in uh, clockwise circles because your arms couldn't match. Pretty up. much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, Nick, I, I, I forget if we, we sort of talked about some stories of, of how we sort of got to know each other on the music side of things, but we, we both came to sort of independent and punk music in our own ways. And, you know, it was just sort of you're, you're dicking around during right before practice and you're just talking and um, we just started talking about music and Nick was, you know, an actual DCer and uh, a Washingtonian, I'm sorry. And he sort of was a bit more connected. There was another guy on this team, uh, Joe, who was also sort of uh, hooked in in his own way. And it was just this 
thing where it just sort of evolved and a year or so later we would be going to shows together and mind you the shows we were mostly going to together were um like basement shows either shitty hardcore shitty third wave ska um shitty punk i mean just you know high school bands maybe right out of high school bands but you know it was it but was it's so thrilling it was at that scene. point in your life right it's like oh, hey I'm, totally. <laughs> it's happening i'm in the middle of the scene and like you know like the the one so like it, it is kind of an interesting thing and i don't know if, ian if if you experienced this um but because how, how old are you are you older or younger than I us? Just I just turned 38. So yeah. okay, yeah. So you're like you've got about three or four years on us. Um, so uh, like, because for us, I feel like I always felt like we kind of came in at the very end mm-hmm. and like missed a lot of it. So yep. the bands that like we were seeing, most of the bands that we were seeing that weren't Discord bands were largely like like David was saying, like high school bands. Um, like Max Levine Ensemble, who actually, you know, they still play. Um, And then this other band uh, that I still, to this day, love and think they were, like, one of the best, like, sort of Misfits, Ramones, ripoff bands of all time, uh, the Bull Cuts. Um, And I will will rep them till the day I die. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, there was kind of a feeling, I think, in in terms of like our experience of the scene that was like we kind of missed out on like mm-hmm. um sort of the real kind of crucial wave that you know crests in the mid to late 80s and you know kind of extends into throughout the 90s yeah. um we we both nick and i wait, yeah correct me if i'm wrong nick but i haven't seen i never saw bugazi yeah you I, yeah that i mean it's it's the great irony that we we post uh, a discord specific podcast and neither of us have seen their biggest band. I was supposed to twice and both times I had to uh, go away on vacation, uh, which, you know, sounds like an incredibly <laughs> as the world is falling apart. Um, but when you're 14, 15, 16, like it was a big fucking deal that I like could not see Fugazi. And then I was, the last time they played, I was planning on seeing them because they do the end of the year Fort Reno show. That was like my plan. And then um, they end up playing in the middle of July and I wasn't I wasn't home. So, mm-hmm. oh, man, these, uh, these are the uh, tough decisions so, yeah, you have to yeah. make sometimes because like, listen, there was one point Good where uh, my parents, well, my whole family was going to Hawaii and uh, they would have taken me. But, you know, all expenses paid. But I opted to uh, go on this like tour with my little bands like through the south uh just totally diy playing for like you know 10 people a night or whatever it was um but uh yeah. that was the decision totally. i made so you know you you gotta you gotta put your chips down oh yeah totally i mean the problem was, was i didn't really have much choice like uh, given my age like you know <laughs> i right. told my parents like um, i'm gonna stay here and uh you know go see a punk band and like, are yeah. you kidding? No, like hell you are, son. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, so, but yeah. Um, what's funny though is like, I feel like I've seen all the sort of side projects that came mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, just 
by dint of going to Fort Reno every summer. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was it was a you know like growing up in sort of the the ghost of Fugazi, like the like the after sort of phase that you know we were seeing. Yeah, we Dismember uh, uh, Plan, Q and Not You, Black Eyes. Like there were all these bands that were sort of Discord bands or sort of Discord adjacent bands that we definitely understood and we're getting sort of this like you know the mythos of, of discord <laughs> oh yeah el guapo i haven't thought about them in yeah, a couple of years ed nice. sedgwick yeah um yeah ed sedgwick yeah. so uh it seems like you guys did a little sort of backtracking because um you know s- since you're familiar with discord catalog uh as as a whole um is it is it the kind of thing where you sort of initially got into bands like fugazi and then you just sort of did a retroactive deep dive and uh found out about all the other discord bands yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean definitely that was that was part of it i remember so like fugazi specifically um it came to me uh because i'd read oh gosh i'd read in the washington city paper they had an article about like sort of the punk scene and like the sort of rebirth of um shows and show spaces like this would have been like 2000 1999 2000 and i was reading it and they talked about um like saint andrews uh which was like i guess a church out in like eastern maryland where they did shows a lot more like sort of like um metalcore type stuff i remember zeo (laughs) if anyone remembers them playing um and uh, but they mentioned, you know, like Fugazi and, you know, so and I read about them somewhere else. So it was like a two and two kind of thing. And then what really solidified it was um, was I caught I don't know if you remember when Bravo, the TV channel was like actual arts and culture programming. <laughs> but they did. Um, I mean, it's so weird, right? Like how, how you come across this stuff. But they did like a night of music documentaries or maybe it was a week and they showed the Jim Cohen uh, film instrument and I was watching it and I was like, Oh wait. Yeah. I, okay. I know these guys. And I watched the whole thing and I was like, so cool. And I was like, Holy shit, this is happening in my hometown. Like where I live, this boring ass (laughs) place. Like what the fuck? Like, so like that kind of set me off to the races. And then, yeah, like, just like you said, like going and, you know, uh, the 20 years of discord thing was a big, uh, big sort of, you know, spotters guide for, for me and for, you know, that was, yeah, that was, that was, that was right in high school for us. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like, you know, with that, we were kind of going back and then, you know, I think we, um, you know, nation of Ulysses was another band that like both David and I were obsessed with, um, which, you know, I don't know what that says about us, about us in this day and age, but, um, you know, uh, and then, um, like Circus Lupus was another one I really liked. Rites of Spring, obviously, was huge for us, um, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, David, sorry, I'm talking too much. No, no, I mean, yeah, like, like I was saying, I, I came into sort of like indie punk music a lot differently. I, I, I was like a real big geek in middle school 
I mean, a lot of my life. And I was on message boards, uh, anime message boards. And there was sort of that weird alternative undercurrent then. And the band that sort of unified a lot of people on these boards was was the Pixies. And then Fight Club came out. And I was really into Fight Club because I was an angsty teen. <laughs> and I didn't, I, com- I completely missed the message of Fight Club. But I really loved, you know, Where's Your Mind at the end. And that was sort of the start of it. And uh, I, I tell this story on our podcast, but it, it, it's one of those like very, specific almost like sense memories at this point we're walking down there's a street that sort of goes through the middle of our campus there uh a small i street little street uh uh, what's it called a football field on one side and the school on the other side and we're walking down and our friend joe that i mentioned joe who was also in our band that nick and i were in with another friend uh will called the olive branch petition so we all make mistakes and (laughs) you know it was I remember the instrument, or not instrument, uh, it was the furniture EP had just come out and he had bought it and he brought it to school and he was listening to it and he held it up and he like, he was, we were walking on I street and he held it up. And I just remember, I was like, I've heard of Fugazi. I have no idea what they sound like. And another thing I'll always say is like, I wasn't actually hugely into Fugazi in high school. Like I, I wanted to see them. I liked some of their songs. It didn't really connect. Nick and I also went to the same college together. Uh, we went to Boston College and we joined the radio station WZBC. And Can you know, you like, tell it, that we're codependent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We didn't to live get together. That idea. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was this, you know, like like everybody who goes to a college radio station, it was especially in that age when you weren't downloading stuff, when you had to actually rip all the CDs. Like I would bring in my laptop and just take, you know, CD after CD and spend hours just ripping them into iTunes. And, you know, we had a friend, uh, Dave Foley was his wait, not Dave Foley. Sorry, that was yeah, a, no, 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 yeah, no, that no, was Dave Foley. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Dave Foley. News um, radios, not, Dave Foley, <laughs> the one and only. That's funny. We've had two actually yeah. like separate Dave Foley's in our life, and <laughs> Shit, it's weird, that's right? Yeah. Anyways, um, Dave Foley was uh, the you you interned for him, right, Nick? Yeah, he was just a, he was older, he yeah. was he was yeah. probably about your age, and um, he uh, he he. I interned on his show because that was just how they trained you. And he did a thing every every Friday, which was when his show was. He would do Fugazi Friday, and he would just blast Fugazi like as loud as the studio could handle. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it was uh, yeah. So that was kind of like his thing. But and that's and that's where like and those Fugazi Fridays were like I would be on the couch and one of those like awful dirty you know, college radio couches and he would wake me up and like grab me, pull me into the room and we have to like, like bed for the scraping just at like, you know, peaking in the red kind of levels. And uh, from there I was like, okay, like I have to listen to Fugazi now. I have to connect to this band. I have, you know, a, a duty that I have to speak to and understand. And from there, yeah, like Nick was saying, you just sort of find your path through it. You know, we, that, yeah, the, 20 years of discord CD really was one of those like, all right, here's the document, just read it and understand it. And as we've gone through the discourse and, and listening to all these records, it's funny. We, we are, we're coming up across and some of those one songs on the 20 years of discourse I, that I didn't like. And now we listen to the actual album they're from. I'm like, Oh, like it, it just, it was just that one song. I actually really like this band, you know, yeah. oh, uh, or I Why don't like this band. I only like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I don't think it's, I ever actually listened to that compilation, so that's interesting. Maybe I should um, seek that out because I was going to ask you guys. So in your podcast, um, you're you're basically going chronologically through the Discord releases, right? 
more or less. Yeah. yeah. More or less. Um, how many total releases are there to date on Discord? Do you know? The Corky album is like 191 or something. So uh, coming up on 200, definitely over 200 with all these like half and quarter. There's like a fucking seven eighth release or something in there. You know, like it. We we started actually with um, with the argument because it like like we'll probably get into like this was sort of a, an album that. Uh, it was right around when we were in high school and we got connected to music. But then, yeah, we started from number one. We more or less would uh, uh, buy when they were released. We've gone back and forth. Yeah, some of these half ones, we did like a big roundup. Um, some yeah. of them sort of bundled together. Like we jumped and did like the Rites of Springs albums together that, you know, have a bunch of, you know, have a few, few in between. Um, we've jumped around. But yeah, it's, you know, we're up to about, we just finished our actually first Fugazi episode. And we covered the first three Fugazi albums, um, which yeah. takes us to what about like 90, or so? 91? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. We, we like jumped really far ahead with the third one. But oh, I I'd, okay. I'd say we're, we're around yeah. 1991 or so, 1992. Because yeah. so, the other thing that, you know, because we thought about doing like a release per episode, and I don't think we wanted it to be like, you know, well, what were you doing when you recorded this track? And what were you, you know, I wanted it to be a little more broader scope and kind of speak to how like sort of the history and the scene kind of develops around these releases. And so that's why we kind of, you know, we'll have episodes where we do a couple releases at a time because they're kind of of a piece. So, you know, um, like some of the early hardcore stuff, uh, you know, the first like seven releases are all kind of of a piece because, you know, uh, that 80 to 81 period is very you know everyone knows each other mm -hmm. um i mean you know some of the people are like in two to three different bands so like it just made sense to kind of you know sort of look at kind of chunks of time as opposed yeah, to each it, release yeah i mean it, like nick and my background sort of it, it works well together yeah we, we didn't want to do the chris farley show be like what you know when that happened like that was really <laughs> cool like that's not that's not, that wasn't really fun for us. This project really started when Nick emailed me out of the blue. We, we live in different cities now. And, and like we said, we, we were very, very good friends for a long time. And we now live in different cities. And he's just, you know, Nick's been a really good friend about sort of staying in touch and finding these ways to stay in touch. And he just sent an email out of the blue, be like, hey, let's do a podcast where we listen to every Discord record. And he might have been joking. I'm not sure. But yeah, it, said, was, yeah. it was kind of a joke. <laughs> and and so Nick's, Nick, was you have a, a MFA in history, right, Nick? I in MA. MA, sorry. Um, um, yeah, and you know, like Nick is such a good partner, and like there's this good, like interesting Henry Rollins clip out there where he talks about like the people you want to listen to music to with, and you like having a good partner to someone you know to listen to music with, and Nick's a really good partner in that sense because Nick's very good about the history, the context of a lot of this that's going on. Um, He's a lot better at finding the original sources, if need, need be. Um, I uh, spent a lot of time in the music industry. I, I've worked for a couple of labels. And I really appreciate sort of that kind of like nuts and bolts, almost like the, how the sausage is made kind of stuff and understanding how it connects. And so there's there's a how we work together has been really helpful of how we listen to these records and how we think about them as this huge scene, as this like, record of a lot of things of something that discord really does and has always been which is this collection of people who know each other who really understand each other and who sort of are flittering in and out of each other's lives in a way that a lot of other labels like maybe have for a period but 
Discord is a, is a record label that it's always been that. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. And I've definitely appreciated, I mean, especially the, the historical context in your guys' podcast, because that's something I don't know as much about. Um, and I was going to ask you, because it's possible that uh, there are some listeners to this podcast who are kind of like me in that um, I'm a big Fugazi fan, but I, I actually haven't listened to that many other Discord releases. Like, I've listened to the, you know, Ian Mackay-related projects and the the big stuff like Jawbox, Q and Not You, uh, yeah. Shudder to Think, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But if I were to ask each of you, like, if you could recommend just one Discord release that's maybe a little out of the Fugazi lane that you would recommend someone like me to listen to, uh, what do you think that would be? I have, I guess, two answers here. One, um, my favorite record on Discord is, I mean, this is completely <laughs> completely off of Fugazi, unfortunately, but One Last Wish. I, that record is so good. It is such a good record. It didn't come out for so long because they thought they didn't want to release a record that uh, a band that had already broken up, which was like a problem in the first like five years of Discord. That has mm-hmm. keep, keep a Chodo, but I would say the one that we've come across, and, and to your sort of the point of your question here, there's a lot of middling stuff in the Discord discography. There's yeah, a lot of stuff I think, you don't need to listen to. Yeah, I think that was another sort of like thing when we went into this. We didn't want it to be like, hey, geography necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's a tendency, especially in local scenes, uh, you know, where, you know, and I think that's just kind of, you know, a dynamic that's, endemic to every local scene where you're just like you know everything's good everything's good but like you know not every like you know as we kind of say in the first episode like not every release is great and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff that's you know kind of by the numbers and there's other stuff that just you're kind of like why did this get released but um back to your sort of question uh as to kind of like what uh I think is, is something that like people have slept on. Certainly the one last wish record is a wonderful, uh, record. Um, and well worth anyone who likes Fugazi writes spring, uh, well worth their time. Um, I would have to say for me, Oh man, I had it. And it's like, it just like (laughs) slipped away. God. I'll 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 yeah. say I'll say one I'll say my non Fugazi related one. Um, we did an episode that was sort of the bundle of bands right before Fugazi came out because Ian, yeah, as as sort of the record shows, he like didn't want to immediately make a band after Embrace. So there's this period of a couple of years, like eighty eight, eighty nine, um, right before the first Fugazi EP, and um, three the band three they have an album called Dark Days Coming. Like that was a bolt pulled out of like of just completely out of nowhere record for me and i i just love it um and then sort of the broader thing that that came from is we did this episode based around the state of the union uh compilation which was like a a charity compilation in 89 and that is such a there's a bunch of bands that actually aren't on discord or maybe like later became something else but that's just a really great time capsule of this like 88 89 period um, those two records came out. I, I think they're thirty-two and thirty-three. So, those would be my my recommendations. Nice. Okay. Right. I, yeah. I haven't listened to those things you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I, it, I'm kicking myself that I haven't listened to One Last Wish, especially yet. So uh, I'm way overdue there. So thanks for that. And I, I I think I've happened on mine. It's Soda Pop Ripoff by Slant Six. Fucking great record. Um, highly recommend it. And then the other one that I was going to recommend, which is not on Discord, but is, I guess, Discord adjacent, is 
Um, Chris Richards of Q and Not You. Now, yeah, I know what I'm about to say, Nick. Yeah, I agree. He put out so after Power and after uh, Q Not You breaks up, and I did not like Power at all. Um, But you know, that's for a different uh, podcast. Um, He put out a record under the name Wrist Paul Rick. Yes, Purple Blaze. Mm -hmm. It's so good. good. (laughs) It's like this weird, almost like Bossa Nova record. Um, And Tim Hecker, I think, is the uh, instrumental composer, is the producer on it. And it's like, it has no right being as good as it is. Like, I don't, yeah, it's it's really good. It's worth seeking out. It came out, and I don't think it even, like, made a blip. But, um, yeah, that record is really good. I like that one a lot. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I actually, um, Chris Richards was the guest on the second episode of this podcast. And um, oh yeah, I think yeah. the second episode. And yeah, I I mentioned at the end of that, I actually was in a band that opened for him while he was like touring <laughs> uh, Purple Blaze. Oh okay. And uh, yeah, I I sort of I plugged that on his behalf because yeah, I've I've always liked that. It's one of those things that's like stayed in my head ever since it came out. Although yeah, like you said, yeah. it, it never really uh, became something that was in the wider culture. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a very like, almost like gauzy record. Yeah. I like it a lot. It's, it spoke to a sound that it was, I mean, ahead of the time is such a cliche at this point, but like, it really was this, um, yeah, that sort of fuzzy new, no, not shoegaze, but like it had sort of, yeah, man, such a good record. Very good picnic. Well, I'll try to, to um, I'll try to put uh, all the, all those releases you guys mentioned in the show notes so people can uh, conveniently click and and check them out. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely be doing that also on my part. Um, So thanks for those recommendations, guys. Um, Let's move on and talk about... Oh, can I make one more? Can I make one more? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do it. One more. I swear to God, this is the last one. Um, The the Monarchids record, uh, Let Them Eat Monarchid, which is a split between um, uh, Discord and Simple Machines. But Monarchid was the band that Chris Thompson from Circus Lupus was in after. And it's it's like Circus Lupus, if you like that sort of jaggy, jagged kind of, you know... Uh, garage type stuff but more so like more garagey so anyway just one last one right on it's it's good yeah i'll put that in too sweet so epic problem from the argument i guess i'll i'll more or less give you guys the the first word about what you want to talk about with this song although um i did want to chime in myself because this is fortunately one of the Fugazi songs that has been spoken about uh, by the band in mm-hmm. interviews. Um, we're not so lucky with with every song, and we have to do a lot of guesswork. Not so much with this yeah, one. Sure. Um, famously, this is a song that the band say they worked on for a long time. So I have a, a snippet from a Pitchfork interview with Guy here from 2002. Uh, interviewer says, some of the songs are pretty old. Guy says, yeah, it's a weird collection of songs. Some of the songs are really old. Epic Problem is probably 10 years old. Uh, So started, you know, around steady diet times. I don't know. Uh, Or Kill Taker, something like that. Um, And uh, Pitchfork says, is that really what the title refers to? Guy says, yeah, because assembling that song was an insane pain in the ass. In fact, for a long time, there was a moratorium on it. We weren't allowed to introduce the song in practice. If you brought the song back in, everyone would like, you know, we actually just weren't allowed to. It wasn't even allowed to be mentioned. 
Um, so I guess uh, I'll throw it to you guys, and with along with a question, is this a song that, like, listening to it, you think you could you could tell that it's something that was labored over and gave the band a lot of difficulty? Oh, totally, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear like the transitions. Yeah, you can hear like all the kind of disparate. It's one of the few Fugazi songs I can think of that is is um, is noticeable in that respect. Yeah, it feels like two songs. I mean, they they make it work, but it definitely like the after the sort of the break and that or that hard sort of stop, which I, I it's just on a on a fucking dime. It's so good. I love that part. But that the sort of second half, it, it I don't know if it was another riff that they just made into a song because yeah, Ian has done a few interviews where he says yeah, like the the riffs sort of started, especially those earlier songs. Like he would they and he would just bring riffs in, and sort of the song would come second and. Yeah, it's just very clear how how sort of yeah. It's, yeah, one, of things, guess, it's yeah. one of those things for me where I second guess myself. I'm like, well, if I didn't already know that about the song, would I? Is this mm-hmm. an observation I would have made? But yeah, I mean, it seems to me that it's one of those uh, paranoid android happiness is a warm gun sort of things where oh, it yeah. seems like there mm. it's a Frankenstein or different songs came together into, yeah. into one whole. Yeah, I mean, and it has like completely different almost. Um, like uh instrumental passages you know like they start with that sort of you know very sort of uh prototypical you know fugazi dc two guitar thing uh you know one sort of you know chunky chord the other like sort of the high frequency thing that Gee would do and then they go into kind of like a almost like uh this sort of like chugging almost like mid-80s sonic youth uh Uh thing you know, and then they come back to the, you know, so it's, yeah. And then, I mean, the stop and then the acoustic guitar where he's saying, I've gotten a problem. Um, I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's like the big scene, you know, mm-hmm. in the song, you can just kind of tell that like, you know, <laughs> like, okay, we need to figure out like, you know, there, how do we make this work? There, there's a, if you guys haven't ever listened to it or your listeners haven't ever listened to it, Ted Leo and Amy Mann did a podcast for like a year or so um, around like right after they did that album together and they had Ian on. And a side note here is I just always love listening to Ian Mackay interviews because you can always appreciate when an artist sort of has a very clear point of view, you know, they don't sort of, they'll admit if they're wrong or they're maybe they'll different, but you know, like it's just, it's just, you listen to him and he has a very understood way of talking about sort of especially the craft and this podcast was specifically about putting music together. And he, he really laid it out that early recordings with Fugazi were about um, bringing a riff, practicing it together. And especially the recording process was just like, get it on tape, just finish it up. Um, and it didn't really, you know, up until about red medicine, like they didn't really think of the, recording booth as like an actual part of the process it was just like get what we play live on record and with red medicine that first track i mean like you hear this or the the sonic collage of it and i always love epic problem and i really really love the argument it's it's my favorite sort of uh, front to back fugazi record um it doesn't have the highest highest ring but it's definitely my favorite like full album and it, I, I really appreciate how you have little things like the the drums the two drums i just i really appreciate the two drums in general but how they're sort of panned a little bit on either side yeah they're like panned get, hard too yeah. like panned hard left mm-hmm. and right um 
Brendan playing one and Jerry playing the other. I assume mm-hmm. Brendan is, is on the left side because that's kind of the more prominent drum part. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It, but that's like something you don't hear in too many songs, like two different drum sets panned hard left and right. Yeah. I And yeah, just, just the fact that this record, um, for me, it just shows a real sort of, you hear every part of Fugazi, you hear every record in this record. And, you know, if they knew it was going to be their last record, I, I forget. But it definitely is this like sort of, greatest hit formulation of a record for better or worse and the fact that they they then also had these great kind of in the studio production parts to it like that they had such a like that seam in the middle that nick said but they were able to and you 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 listen to live versions of this song and like they're they can stop pretty much on that seam live but the fact that just just cuts just cuts for that second is such a great production idea of making you feel like this song sort of has these two parts that um, they, they really pull together. And, and I don't know. I just, I, I think it's like, this is silly. My like third favorite Fugazi song. <laughs> it, it just, there's, there's something about it that uh, I, it has every part of Fugazi that I like in it. It has that Wait, sort of dual guitar part. Yeah. What's your fourth favorite Fugazi <laughs> song? Then? Uh, well, I actually think it is bed for the scraping. So I think this song is, I mean, yeah, what you're saying is exactly true because it's both it it both has um, cool studio effect trickery, uh, but it also has real organic like live feeling moments. So like for a couple of examples, right, the the quiet I've got this epic problem part, the instruments drop out except for like mostly Ian and his guitar, but al- but also his vocals get eq'd differently in that part right so they're they're mm. EQ'd, like all kind of midi um like radio am radio style um and then it's the thing where the band comes back in and in a typical song that tries that kind of trick i think the vocals would go back to normal but it seems like here they stay like that like they stay that midi tone i guess maybe there's they get double tracked as the full band kicks in but the mm-hmm. resulting effect is i like i don't think there's anything else like it in the catalog where his voice has this really distinct tonal quality because of this interesting well, studio stuff they're doing. Yeah. And I mean, on the outro of that, you know, after they, after the band comes back and he's just kind of saying, I've got this epic problem over and over his voice. Like they, they, they put a, um, I, I don't know whether it's a phase or, or delay on his, um, on his voice kind of, and it kind of like almost like drifts out kind of, as the song kind of reaches its conclusion, which is, yeah, like, it's really interesting. And they, you know, like David said, you know, on Red Medicine and especially on End Hits, which mm-hmm. uh, that personally for me, I love End Hits. I know that that one's kind of like not a lot of people love End Hits, but um, I think it's just such a good fucking record. But they had really been, you know, exploring the studio as an instrument kind of thing. And, um, you know, I think that, the argument kind of resolves sort of those competing tensions that I think maybe like exist within the band where it's like, do we just come in and just bash it out and play it? Like we play it live or do we take our time and, and really kind of like see where we can take the songs. And I think the argument, um, you know, kind of melds those two approaches rather, um, rather well. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the other half of what I was going to say is an example is in the intro to the song, you can hear, uh, so it's sort of like rhythm guitar happening, and also Brendan, yep. I guess, hitting the kick. 
But also, when he's doing that, you can hear the, like, ambient sounds of the drum kit, like the snare on the snare drum kind mm-hmm. of rattling with the vibrations of things. That's, that's like, so such a live, organic-sounding kind of a thing. So, yeah, that's an example of how they really meld the two processes in this song and this album as a whole, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll say, too, what I was, I was talking about earlier, where, like, having a partner to listen to music uh, that's you know, can better your experience. I am very much not someone who listens to lyrics very often. I could, there's maybe like three or four songs total that I could tell you the lyrics of off the top of my head. It's just not something. They're all bright eyes songs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Probably actually (laughs) like a Ted Lewis song or two. And it, it was really fun to sort of get into the lyrics of this song because it's, you know, it's pretty simple lyrical, uh, track but it's kind of it's it's funny i mean i feel like this is an embrace song like this is like a very personal song and the interviews i've read with ian about this one were <laughs> i don't know if you guys caught this one it seemed to actually be in response to the the fuck ian mckay seven inch did you guys catch this <laughs> no <laughs> what <laughs> yeah it's i i read this and it was funny i was trying to find it the link is now dead i'll um but it was an interview I'll link this in the show notes. Um, I was going to just like sort of quote from it at length, um, oh, okay. just because okay. I don't know how okay, many sorry. people would actually follow Wait, up on it. Is this the is this the Pussy Galore seven like no, song? No, Fuck you, Mackay. Different one. No, it's a different oh, one. There's multiple. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I, sorry. Look, man, you live no. long. You live long enough <laughs> to become a, a yeah, whatever that line is. Why do we fall, Master Bruce? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is a. Uh, from a Mark Prindle interview uh, with Ian from 2009. Let me read this. So he says, the title Epic Problem was actually a working title for that piece of music, and the reason it was called Epic Problem is that the foundational bass riff of that song is something that I wrote in 1990, and it was something that we kicked around for a decade trying to make sense of it. It became a problem. It was our Epic Problem. We kept going back to it, and we just called it Epic Problem because we couldn't figure out how to get our minds around it. It seemed, uh, it never seemed to make sense entirely. I pr- have probably a dozen different arrangements of that thing. This is all instrumental. So that at some point led me to this idea of what an epic problem might be. Uh, an epic problem is a problem of the ages, you know? I mean, I'll have to think back. My relationship to my lyrics is a strange one, so I'm going to have to think about what the actual lyrics are. But as I remember... It was a song about appearance and how quite often people think of me specifically as somebody who doesn't have any problems and everything's just fine. They don't have to worry about me. And it also results a little bit in abuse because they figure I can handle it. So like with somebody else, they'll be like, oh, you know, don't give that person a hard time because they're really sensitive or whatever, which means that if you give me a hard time, that would suggest that they don't think that I'm sensitive. Everything's sorted out and fine. I'm fine, you know? I think the idea of epic problem is that on the outside I'm working, but on the inside that's not necessarily the case. I am a sensitive person. I do actually feel things. What I feel, though, is interesting. I don't take things personally, but I do take affronts as discouraging reminders of the human capacity for cruelty. Over the years, I've had a lot of inconsiderate and sometimes cruel and sometimes destructive pranks done in my name, and it doesn't hurt my feelings personally, but it is, again, a discouraging reminder. So the point of Epic Problem, anyway, is that I am actually a human being, and there are sets, there are sceneries, I do actually put things up because it's not something that I'm necessarily going to discuss or share with people, but at the same time, it's something that I'm wrestling with. It's an Epic Problem. It's a way of like, well, how do I go forward? I'd have to go through the lyrics. I can't remember the rest, and there's a bit more of a stew than that, but that's a couple of potatoes. End quote. 
Wow. You see, guys, <laughs> Ian Mackay also cries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ian Mackay. If you cut Ian Mackay, he will bleed. Just I mean, like you and me. A guy that makes that kind of an impression on somebody's grandmother can't be uh, an unfeeling yeah. automaton, right? I mean, totally. And, you know, I, I mean, look, this is sort of like, you know, to say the plight is is overdoing it, obviously. But, I mean, he's been someone who has been, you know, uh, sort of analyzed and critiqued and, and sort of, you know, picked over in terms of, like, his output musically and, and lyrically and, I mean, even just the way he conducts his label. Um since he was 18 like yeah that's like you know and it, it kind of you know as, we joked as, about as, this as per our two podcasts yeah <laughs> yeah exactly right and you know i mean we kind of joked about this in in the episode where we talked about minor threat and guilty of being white you'll you know like he's almost like you know what happens to people who you know say something kind of thoughtless or you know ill-informed on twitter uh, you know, only he he did it in a song, and you know that song is very much about a very specific uh, you know situation that he and his friends found themselves in growing up in D.C. in the seventies. Um, but yeah, like you know, after a while, like I I probably get really sick of being uh, you know mm-hmm. getting played on just because I wrote you know I wrote a song about not drinking when I was nineteen twenty years old. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah, and just and just yeah, this this sort of like introspective song. Um, again, there's probably a lot of these Fugazi songs because I am bad about remembering the lyrics, but just this song where it's this is about Ian Mackay and Ian Mackay's feelings. This is a song about you know I you think I'm putting up a front, maybe I sort of am. Like everything's fine, but it's not actually fine. Yeah, it's almost melodramatic. It's it you know anybody barks it and it's. I know that that's just such a nice Fugazi quality. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as if he's never written a song akin to this before, but it does seem like out of all those, it's his most vulnerable one. I mean, Mm. inside, I know I'm broken. Like that is, uh, that's not an everyday Ian Mackay lyric. Um, or at least it wasn't up to that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, yeah. I'm sorry. I just said a bunch of yeahs. Like, (laughs) Really good contribution. Um, yeah, no, and I mean, I think I don't know if you remember this, Ian. Uh, you might. I I don't know if you had uh, had left DC by this point, but when I when we this would have been like 2004, the Washington City paper did like a cover story that was basically just a fucking hatchet job on Ian Mackay. and um, you know the guy who wrote it was basically like Ian's the reason why. DC is known as being this like totally no fun scene, like, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. You can't have it here. Otherwise you're going to have Ian scolding you. And it was just like, God, like how many times has this article been written? Jesus. Like, you know, every, every generation kind of gets the sort of like, uh, Ian McKay backlash it deserves almost like, you know, and I, 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 put myself in that like i definitely went through a phase where i was just like i don't want to listen to fugazi because i feel like in some way i'm kind of being lectured to and yeah i mean there's there's definitely the the back and forth of ian mckay actually secret sweetheart ian mckay actually 
hard-nosed asshole. Like, yeah, just over and over. No one wants to hear it anymore. I mean, it's not terribly insightful to sort of speak to it. There are so many interviews with him out there. But I will say there's the inside of Ian Mackay and sort of the, the, the very personal side to him. I, it, I've had two encounters that always really sit with me. Uh, one was, like I said, I, I worked for Panking Mountain and I was an intern. I was like a production assistant basically for a couple of months when I lived in D.C., uh, during a like a winter break or something and we were dropping off like the newest dvd had come out of the episodes and uh discord was distributing the dvds so we went over to discord house and uh, just like the discord offices were right across the street they probably still are it's a very tiny little office and he uh he invited me into the house i, I was just dropping off these dvds and he was like oh like you want like a or something and he had just bought a new baritone guitar because the evens were going on tour um and again the evens had just started i'd maybe seen them at Fort reno the previous summer and yeah he had bought a very sparkly yeah that dan guitar. electro right yeah right and he was like he was like asking me if it was too sparkly and he was like trying to tell me what baritone guitars were or, like, or they were different and he just sort of like took time out of his day i was some nobody i was some like 21 year old kid i mean that's not a kid but you know like i I was just a guy dropping off DVDs and he just sort of took time to connect with me at this very direct way. And then around that same time, maybe the previous summer in Fort Reno or the summer after, I forget, uh, the Evens had played and he was standing off stage. He was, you know, shaking hands, talking to people. And I always remember these two kids from Baltimore had come up to him and they were maybe like high schoolers or early college, you know, 18, 19 or something. And they were like, hey, Ian, uh, we, we like started a band, but, you know, we play shows, but no one really likes us. And we'd like, no one comes to our shows, really. And, and like, we don't know what to do. And like, we record music. But we just we still know what to do. And he just looks at him. He goes, do you guys enjoy playing the music that you come up with? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he goes, cool. Like, you're successful. That's it. Like, that's all you need to know. Like, that's fine. And they just walked away with like the biggest smiles on their face. And, and again, like, you know, that's, that's almost corny and like how this very successful musician can just tell kids to be happy with their lack of success. But it was just like, he, he connected in this, in this way that he had thought about his relationship to the music and his relationship to how people understood him as like both a celebrity and a musician. I don't know. It's just, it, it's something that it's, it's really great, especially as the discourse has, one thing we're finding listening to all these, especially the early record, the first like five, six years or so, is that it's this community of people. It's these people who are friends with each other, who went to high school with each other, who like brought people in, people flittered out and, you know, and what that would mean to have those relationships to each other was part of the process. It wasn't just a recording of the the scene at the time. It was like uh, recording your friend. Document. It was connecting with people. Yeah. I don't know. Like that's that's me rambling about discourse and <laughs> Discord records and why we do the discourse. It's just there's a relationship to this music that we have that we had growing up as like kind of punk-ish kids in DC or the DC metro area, and it just it, like it stands through time, and it's great to sort of see how it sort of had these tip poles. Yeah, throughout. I I think one metric by which this song is is really successful is that I agree with everything you said and you can you can look at this song from a perspective of somebody like us who's like known who Ian Mackay is for as long as we can remember at this point right uh, but also like even if you don't know who he is it also works on that level because like you know it's the thing where you know I think a lot of mental 
a lot of people's mental stress that they carry around is caused by believing that other people aren't experiencing the kinds of like pain and doubt and insecurity, etc., mm-hmm. that you're feeling. When in reality, yeah. like like everyone feels that stuff, but they you know oh, yeah, totally. they try not to go through their lives just like breaking down at every step of the way. So they put on a, a brave face and uh, and just go go forward with their lives. But but yeah, I think that disconnect is like causes people to be like, oh, why why do I feel shitty and nobody else seems to feel shitty? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think that's totally right. And uh, you know, in the way that like you know now with social media i mean like that's just been blown way the fuck out of proportion it's the it's the whole kind of like duck metaphor of like you know on the surface everything is like tranquil but underneath everyone's like frantically paddling trying to just stay above the water um you know and i think the other you know not necessarily related but like from the lyrics that i that i think is kind of interesting is the way he uses kind of the uh, old-timey uh, telegraph um <laughs> right. construction you know, which I, I kind of wonder if, like, you know, if that's maybe just sort of a stylistic choice or if there's some deeper meaning behind that. Do you guys know why telegrams uh, did that? Uh, because they couldn't uh, render periods, right? Yeah. So originally, right, because uh, telegrams were sent in Morse code, which originally yeah. only had capital letters and mm. no punctuation. So uh, apparently, typically, that's not like a huge problem, but. Uh, sometime around during World War One, when the military used telegrams to communicate, like you could not have a message that was ambiguous, right? So, uh, yeah, they, uh, the custom arose of just using the word "stop" where a period would be, uh, so that like everyone's just on the same page about what everybody's sentences means. Right. So, and that's just sort of a thing that that caught on uh, in non-military contexts also, and then even even like apparently after. They sort of added stuff to Morse code that that you could use periods and other punctuation. People yeah. still just did it in telegrams. So there's my little historical fact of the day. Wow, I know that's thank you. What do you guys think of the way the uh, the music stops when uh, Ian Mackay says the words stop? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, you know, like David was saying, um, you know, that that band was so musically tight and they practiced so much. Um, that like, you know, I, I, I mean, for them, like, that's not a difficult move to pull off. Um, I think, and I think it, you know, it lends, um, you know, it certainly kind of gets your attention, um, and, uh, and kind of keeps you engaged in the song, uh, throughout, um, you know, and then it kind of goes into the part where he's talking about accessory, um, which I uh, I'm kind of curious as to get your thoughts as to because I I wasn't able to kind of put the the first part of the song together with the second part where you know inside I'm all broken but I'm working as far as you can see bit um, I, so I don't know if maybe that's down to the fact that it was two separate songs and I I wonder if it's like because the the he in the second chorus it says accessory to the time like he sort of finishes the sentence I guess and mm-hmm. you know if it's this song about sort of what it means to have this relationship with your feelings or, or how people understand you and you know maybe this was some reflection on the early two thousands or whenever he actually wrote this of just like this is 
you know, there was the sort of slacker affect. There was, you know, the grunge affect of not really giving a shit. And like, they mm-hmm. must have been attuned to that at some level that, you know, being a part of like this music scene, which I think probably in the late nineties, early two thousands was the, the, I always think about the music when we were in high school, like, or sort of the right after that, like disco punk and, you know, metric and all these like, you know, shimmering hi-hat oh, kind of shit. And, you know, it was all cynical. Dance punk. Yeah. It was all music <laughs> that was like, um, it was a reflection. My, my girlfriend brought this up and I thought it was such a really good insight of like, this was music and reflection of like, uh, um, the pain of sort of a George W. Bush, like Iraq war, but like the world is shit. So let's just go do a bunch of cocaine and like party kind of mentality. Yeah. And maybe there was some reflection of the, like that, the early sort of parts of that coming into the scene or sort of this cynicism of, you know, I feel like the early two thousands discord is not terribly political. Partially Fugazi's kind of drops out and, you know, maybe Ian is, seeing that maybe he's seeing that sort of the convictions and and sort of not saying what you feel and sort of putting up a front is is affecting things and, he, and he's an accessory to that maybe that's interesting yeah. i was i yeah, was thinking maybe. about the the telegram parts where i mean if you look at it, it it doesn't convey a whole unbroken thought it's 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 almost like a censored telegram right that's like been through mm military censors or whatever you know the the first verse being something positive the second verse being something negative but in each case it's like this weird interrupted uh incomplete thought so i, I don't know it could be making some kind of statement about failures of communication uh and you know misperceptions about ian of the kind that we were discussing before also sure yeah sure yeah i mean you know how do you how, I mean, how do you like sort of combat, you know, um, the sort of perception that, you know, you're a real stick in the mud or, you know, how do you combat yeah. the perception that you're like totally humorless? And, um, you know, because I, for a lot of people, like especially throughout the 90s, and that's why I think instrument is is such an important document, like they say in the movie, like. You know, so and so's sister th- thought that we all lived in like a group house and only ate gruel. <laughs> like, I, and I forget who. I think it's Brendan says that didn't use heat. Right? Yeah. Like we don't use heat or something <laughs> insane. And it's just like, like it's just so funny to me because it's just like I, I you know, like I didn't live through. You know, I didn't experience music present tense as it was happening in the early 90s i wasn't clued into fanzines i was too young so i can only kind of put it together via hindsight and be a kind of you know reading what was being written at that time and you know yeah like i mean there were kids out there who like heard straight edge and thought like you know even though straight edge isn't fugazi song but you know that that legacy of that song follows him obviously uh has quite the long tail and you know so like i can totally like see how maybe like the frustration of of that and you know using kind of like a telegram style a telegraph style like you know stop you know new sentence kind of thing so it's like very clear and oh i just remembered what i was gonna say which is that um that that stop part i like that is cool per se but 
it's been done a lot before, so I'm kind of of two minds of that whole thing. Um, and I, yeah. I tried to think about it. I collected a little uh, sampling of other songs that do that same thing, where the singer says stop and the music stops. <laughs> so Elvis yeah. Costello did it in Allison. Uh, yep. Jane's Addiction has a song called Stop, where they do it yep. several times. MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This. James Taylor, <laughs> yep. How Sweet It Is. And Oh, uh, wait, James Taylor has one? Yeah, I just want to stop and thank you, oh, baby. all right. Forget it. Roy Orbison, uh, uh, his song Crying, uh, does it Gazi also. Gazi is over. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's one Fucking of those things that I used to be like, plagiarist. oh, that's awesome. But then I was like, wait a minute. A lot of bands have done this. Um, totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, there's nothing well, new. I mean, it's, it, 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 I, I, there is a sort of zero to 60-ness that is a, I appreciate of it. You know, and again, like that sort of. Yeah, but the uh, how how well you could do it. Yeah. The whole telegram thing adds a different dimension to it. Like to give full credit though, like that's not something that I think mm-hmm. anyone did before. So uh, full marks yeah. for that. Oh God, what was the other thing I was going to say? It's funny too because this song comes right after um, in the lineup on the argument full disclosure, which I feel like is a very similar song uh, in some respects, even though it's a gee song. Um, but for some reason, I always put these two songs together as like two sides of almost the same sonic coin. Um, probably because it's like their most like two driving sort of just out and out rocker type songs on the album. Yeah. Yeah. It's a know. great, great, great like A side run of this record. I mean, I think Fugazi for me tends to have a bit of an A side problem, but. Um, makes it a little too heavy on the front but like oh, what a what a killer like first three four tracks of this one yeah definitely yeah. And, and i think they have a, a knack for making albums that hang together somewhat they're like they don't have a lot of albums where you're like well this song is out of place on this one um so we we we, we talked about it on our fugazi episode where the, we we appreciated that yeah the fugazi albums are just tracked very well it's it's such a funny little thing to notice but I think that comes from when you're in a bunch of bands and you put out a bunch of records and like, it's like putting a wedding together. Like you have like to do the thing where you have to figure out your friends. Like you don't know how to do that until you do it. You (laughs) you don't know how to track a record until you, you know, track a record. And like, it's, it's a, it can be an art. It can be its own sort of form that God, they had so much experience even with the first Fugazi EP and they just, they, they figured it out. (laughs) Speaking of tracking records, I'm, I'm, going totally off the off off base here or off book here but um i think uh like the greatest uh sort of like lie of rock and roll history that i've heard is that um somebody's wife tracked u2's uh joshua tree album like I don't know who I, I i don't know who that is and i don't know where i heard that rumor but like some random person not the band, not the producer, tracked Joshua Tree. So whoever that person noted. is, yeah, noted, add that one. I don't know enough about U2 uh, history to, to uh, chime in on that. I mean, I don't think you need <laughs> to, you know. <laughs> Put it at the, top. Put it at the yeah. top of the episode, yeah. It's important yeah, exactly. A couple of other things about the music I wanted to shout out here, the... Um, there's a little bit of fancy time signature work in this song in the part where Ian is singing accessory. 
it seems to be it's like four bars of four four time and then one like half bar uh, or a, a bar of two four time um yeah maybe you'd consider it three bars of four four and then a bar of six four i don't know if that's the same thing or it's just different ways of of uh of looking at it but uh that that's kind of neat um that throwing in that half bar it's a very like it's a very pixies thing the thing i associate with oh, that yeah. band yeah sure so, i i mentioned up top that nick and i were in a band together and we did two performances and practiced maybe three times total in our lives um and i won't recount our embarrassment of how bad these perform- performances were but yeah something about playing in a band even once even poorly it gives you an appreciation of what we were talking about earlier of like a band who can practice to perfection because the persistence of being music, I mean, you, Ian, you said you, you've been a band, you've toured. Uh, so you have much more experience in this, but as a, like someone who stopped being a musician uh, and I had a very decisive weekend a couple, like 10 years ago where I was like, I don't play music. I'm bad at it. I'm never going to be good. <laughs> I'm done. Oh. And the idea of practicing and like just, connecting to it and having like the bond where you can do that and you can have that artistry. I, it, I, I have awe of it in, in the smallest ways. And like what you just said, I'll agree with you because I'm not musically inclined, <laughs> but it comes across. Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's that sort of the, the feeling of music that you use stuff like time signature just yeah. to sort of show how good you are and not that they're showing off, but just Fugazi had those little ways that, they could slip into a song and this, that's certainly one of them. Yeah. I, I love whenever like I read an interview uh, that, that Guy has done where he talks about like what a terrible guitar player he is. And I'm just like, shut <laughs> up. <Yeah. laughs> like, no, he plays tricky off. stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he's always like, Oh, I'm a terrible guitar player. And you know, Brendan can play piano. I'm like, dude, you are a fantastic guitar player. Stop with the false modesty, dude. Um, <laughs> I think I've said this before, but I, it seems like a situation where Guy, like, if you gave him a guitar piece that somebody else played, he, like, he might feel like, I, I don't know what's going on, I can't do that. But I think a, the, another kind of guitarist, like, who's more conventionally, like, good, would feel the same way about Guy's music. Like, like how is yeah. he making these sounds? How is he doing this? So, yeah. I, it's, yeah. I, I always remember Nick and I... D- this one time, Nick, do you remember this with Mike? We, we booked a practice space one time for he was doing drums and um, yeah. he we played with him and I dragged in like I had a fucking Rickenbacker completely unnecessarily a bass like Nick had his guitar and his amps and everything. And we, we booked this time with a very good drummer who played with bands who knew what they were doing. And I always remember the experience where I was like, yeah, Nick, can you play something like really muddy? And Nick sort of got it. And then our drummer was just like, like, hey, like, what key are you playing? Like, what's the time? Like, yeah. what Like, what should I do? And we were just like, I don't know. Like, we don't know music. We don't. <laughs> just what do you want? Do the thing you do. Like, yeah. <laughs> Can you just play drums yeah. for a little bit? Do the drums. <laughs> I guess that's why people use drum machines. Um, <laughs> yeah, the old joke about uh, the difference between a drummer and a drum machine is that you only have to punch the information into the drum machine once. nice 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 let's see another part i wanted to uh mention was that so for eagle-eared fugazi listeners the the quiet part that we've talked about before where ian's strumming this little rhythmic pattern singing i've got this epic problem it's very reminiscent of the intro of the fugazi song fd like f slash yes 
I was gonna say that. Yeah, and Ian singing "Son of a Gun" and "Knife and Bomb," etc. So I was I, I was love listening to FD. this. Yeah, me too. And I was wondering if if that part because it's it's completely disconnected from the rest of FD. So I'm wondering yeah. if that is a thing they sort of like kicked around in the studio and they were just like, ah, let's just toss it onto the beginning of FD, like almost as a throwaway. But then eventually they figured out Epic Problem and they were like, oh, that that thing from FD, let's let's do that and then do something different with the lyrics. Like that, yeah. this is my suspicion. That, I mean, that very well could be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, 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 oh God, I love F. I love the sort of like just. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a geese stand through and through. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Um, but like, just the his vocals on that first part of uh, on FD are are just like something else. And um, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe like you know there's like a demo, you know, tape out there of of you know that sort of riff being um, played, and maybe they used part of that for for FD, and then this other part they brought it back. For, for epic problem i mean you know i mean when you're a band like that good and you know have played together that long like you know i'm sure that like lots of like musical references to other releases that mm-hmm. have, um, also just yeah the, the the formlessness of their set list where they would just sort of go from song to song like the, how you would connect via the riff how you would connect whatever sort of musical tendril would sort of transition to a new song like yeah i mean i would not be surprised if that riff sort of just mutated over time or you know they use it in certain ways to sort of so as you were saying yeah the 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 beginning of the song or the you know it it has a place where you're gonna have to sort of mutilate it a little bit to fit it into these certain circumstances i think we're we're like an hour plus into this podcast i don't think we have mentioned the name joe lally what isn't that interesting like and and i think that's understandable with this song because as much as i love joe it's it's a very subdued bass line throughout it's yeah it's a little hard to hear i think like at some parts yeah. at least there's no bass at all like on the on the accessory part i don't think there's a bass playing in that um i'm not i'm not sure and elsewhere it's just like the tone of it is very mellow it's certainly not the aggressive tone that that joe is known for he's, he's playing like um I think throughout he 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 it's definitely not as as um, melodic uh, as some of the other you know more famous uh, bass lines that that he's played, but you know he's doing kind of like little pulses throughout um, and just kind of keeping almost like a very steady uh, like rhythmic undertow um, throughout. I think you can kind of hear it in the intro where. He he might be doubling up with the rhythm guitar yeah. uh, that Ian's playing, um, but then yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe in the accessory part he does kind of drop away, or maybe he's just like playing, you know, essentially like the same chording. I don't know. Yeah, it's um. I mean, obviously, I think it's it's a good song, and you know the the effect of all the parts coming together as a whole is successful but it's you know looking at the parts on their own it's that like one fugazi ingredient that i that i'm a little bit missing in this song i'm like oh it's where you know where's joe and his famous like uh dubby kind of uh bass lines yeah i mean i i was i was telling about i was telling about my like sort of ad hoc (laughs) ranking of favorite fugazi songs and like my other favorite fugazi songs are very strong bass songs i mean that's obviously just a big part of a lot of their songs clearly but 
it's also funny. I was watching some live versions of this and having never really seen Fugazi and uh, having not really watched a live recording in a while. Like I always forgot that like, he just sort of stands in the back. He just, he understands what he's needed. He just plays the rhythm. Like it just, it's just funny how, yeah, you have these two sort of front men who are so charismatic and so sort of like attuned to sort of being in, in the front um, in their own kind of ways. And he's just like, I'm just going to be the background of this band. I'm going to create these songs sort of on my, like <laughs> my shoulders almost. And he's just, he's just right at the back. Yeah. And so, especially when, and for this uh, tour, when they had the dual drummers and everything, it was just like, he's just standing there. He's just in the at Fort Reno, just sort of standing in the back. It's totally fine. So you mentioned rankings. Why don't we just jump into the <laughs> part of the show where we do ratings? Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? I'll let each of you guys say if you could rate this song out of five stars within the context of the Fugazi catalog. What do you think? I'm gonna let I'm gonna let David go first. Yeah, I mean this is this is a five star for me. This is this is up there. This is Whoa. yeah. Whoa. Yeah. This is this is a, this is like a bringing the hot fire. My God, yeah. Jesus. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Man. Damn. Uh, all right. Yeah. I, all right. I, you know, look, I, I do like this song and, um, I do think that, uh, on, on an album that would be their last album, uh, you know, it, it definitely, I think probably when I first heard it, you know, when it first came out, I think this and full disclosure were my two favorites, but you know, I was also like 15. So like you kind of, you know, go with kind of the more hard charging stuff. When I came back to it, I found myself more interested and more invested in the stuff that's on the back half. So stuff like, um, life and limb, uh, strange light, uh, the kill, um, as opposed to some of the more hard driving stuff up front. So I think from that perspective, I'm going to have to give it, can you give it a 3.5? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm yeah. going to come like uh, right sort of in between where your ratings are. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm going to go for myself. Um, All right. Yeah. For a lot All of right. this, a lot of similar things you said um, really good. Yeah, have, have you, have you, have you hit a two star yet? Yes. Or like a one star um, even? Okay. I've recorded one star? recently that was uh that was one point five stars. Um I'm still like, I'm dreading when that comes out because like look, you know, <laughs> the goal is if I'm being honest about this, there should be like statistically as many one Again, stars are, as five we stars. We are listening to literally every single Discord <laughs> release. There are some fucking stinkers in there. Like we get yeah. it. <laughs> but that's that's the th- thing that's hard about Fugazi. There's no stinkers. There's just like <laughs> Right, yeah. It's like relative to yeah, like, like I, I like, you know, if I were going on my like, you know, rating scale, like Glue Man is a five, and oh god, like, I'm trying to think of like, you know, Cassavetti's for me is is like a one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just give you give you give you a little insight into you know <laughs> how I roll. <laughs> um. Well. Uh, let me give a hat tip to our social media followers who, uh, for a couple of them at least, this is one of their favorites. Uh, Sam Roberts uh, from the Facebook group says, yes, it's one of my favorites from the later era. The best bit of the song is when it all drops out. There's just Ian's voice sounding quite small. Then everyone roars back in again. Goosebumps every time. And Pete Fraser says, 
Uh, yes, that guitar sound there is absolute goals, properly etched onto my DNA, like I'm aiming for that kind of woody sound when I'm recording and failing to achieve it always. Um, and he also says, uh, uh, Epic Problem always feels like a song that's very post-end hits to me. All that stuff they learned through experimenting is part of the furniture now, and they can really turn on a sixpence. Uh, I guess that's like turn on a dime for our American listeners. Uh, dynamically, too. What a tune. Some cool organ on there, too, if memory serves. I don't I don't know if there's organ on here. Maybe he's thinking of the <laughs> part where Guy's like hitting these harmonics and sort of doing a little treble mm, maybe. effect. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> if there's organ, I have to listen back and yet again yeah. to this one. Um, well, cool. Uh, so it sounds like uh, we're all at least in agreement that this, this is a better than average Fugazi song. So we have, we have that to agree yeah. on. Um, <laughs> better than average. That's, uh, that's the tagline on the record. That's the tagline of the band. <laughs> Committed to excellence, like, better than average. Yeah, right, exactly. So let me give you guys a chance to do some plugs. Never mind what's where can listeners reach you? And of course, you know, I'll put the, uh, the discourse in the show notes so listeners can check that out and subscribe. Uh, anything else at all that you want to, uh, you want to expose our listeners to? I mean, just in general, no, not really. We, uh, we recently recorded an episode. If you, if you go to our feed right now, we're on all the podcast um, platforms. So uh, we, we usually link to our anchor FM page. Just it's uh, backslash the discourse. Again, that's a, D-I-S, uh, I'm not going to spell it, but it's, you know, not discourse, I spell it with an H. Anyways, um, <laughs> we just recorded an episode where we were saying we were taking a small break for the summer. Uh, we're, we got to the first couple of Fugazi records and um, we're taking stock of, of putting this podcast together. We got a lot more people listening than we thought, which is more than zero, basically. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it. this was our chance to shake off the cobwebs a little bit. So thank you, Ian. Thank you for having us on. And uh, yeah, we're going to get started, I think, pretty soon. Um, we're trying to have more people join, so uh, we want to have people sort of talk about the records. It doesn't just have to be, you know, two 35-year-olds um, thinking about the glory days kind of a thing. It's There's a lot of records in there. We're getting to a period where both of us aren't uh, well accustomed to sort of the, the era, and I think it's also the point where a lot of the the written history drops off quite a bit. So, yeah, we're, we're eager to talk to people and hear from people who were part of that scene, who were connected to it. Because there's a lot of great records in there and there's a lot of records we just don't know. And that's yeah. the point of the podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, you know, if if anyone, like, wants to know what I'm thinking about uh, uh, any number of uh, topics, I'm on Twitter, uh, Strife Knot, uh, uh, which is a Fall reference, uh, the band The Fall. Um, you can find me there and uh ask me questions about uh dc or other dumb stuff that i've said on on this and other our own podcasts um but yeah no uh you know hopefully like david said you know we are looking to kind of expand kind of the uh the formula for our you know um our show and get you know some more diverse voices on onto it because um you know, as much as the world loves two thirty-five-year-old uh, white dudes uh, talking about punk rock, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, I think you know we definitely want to have people who were there and involved, um, you know, be able to talk about that stuff. And we also want people who, you know, um, 
had their lives impacted by discord and, and punk and, and, and whatnot, because, you know, ultimately it's about like our enthusiasm for this stuff and sort of sharing it and sort of feeding off other people's enthusiasm for it. So, um, shout out to our friend Rima who sent us a really nice email sort of when you're recording and she sort of spoke of her love of uh, fire party. And it gave us both a chance to sort of think about that band that like me personally, I hadn't really thought much of a, and, you know, like them fine, but her enthusiasm gave us something to think about and talk about. And even just our friends talking about it, you know, she's yeah. just someone from high school and it, it, that's why we started the podcast. It was two friends wanting to talk about this thing that they, we experienced sort of together. And there's a lot that we didn't <laughs> experience together. So we're just yeah. going to go through it. And, you know, we're also just trying to make, make that coin, make that podcast money. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You so guys get your money. check from the mattress company yet? Yeah. Uh, still working on it. <laughs> I mean, look, there's there's an NDA. I'm not really allowed to go into specifics, but needless to say, it's complicated. <sighs> yeah, It is. Everything's yeah. complicated these days. It's 2020. That's yeah. just the way things go. Well, yeah, Nick, David, thank you so much for being on the show. And, uh, yeah, listeners, check out the discourse. And, hey, if you can, spread the word about this show as well. If you can recommend it to a friend or give it a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever, I think that would help. You can reach me at fugazi a to z at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, The Alphabetical Fugazi, talk about uh, this song and what, uh, what you thought about it and what we missed. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing Exit Only. Until then, keep your eyes open.